You are now listening to the Minority Trailblazer Podcast. Season 2, new intro, let the story begin. One time for the lovers, two times for the ladies, three times for the brothers, four times for the babies. Do you love her? 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 One time for the lovers, two times for the ladies, three times for the brothers, four times for the babies. Do you love her? 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 Brown skin, love a brown skin, love a brown. Brown skin, love a brown skin, love a brown. She my brown skin, love a brown skin, love a brown. She my brown skin, love a brown skin. Hold me down. Minority Trailblazer Nation, it's your boy Greg E. Hill, the culture change agent. And I'm excited to be here for you today, episode 37. We just got five more episodes left in this season two. It's a wrap. And I just want to get a couple house things done before we get into today's episode. First of all, I am asking, I am coming to you in prayer because last week I almost burnt my face off. I am not playing right now. I look like Mike Tyson and except of the black ink over the forehead is actually all pink skin. Um, I opened the radiator cap and it exploded in my face and it almost took my eye out, but I am okay. Thank you for all the, for the people that I've shared with. Thank you for your texts, your concerns, your prayers. Please keep me in your prayers as I recover because, as you all know, I am a motivational speaker. I go to high schools, colleges, corporations, and, and motivate people. And it, it's kind of hard to motivate people when you have this scar or this crazy thing on your face. I can rail it into my story, but I ain't going to lie. I'm a little self-conscious about it. So please keep me in your prayers in that regard. On to the next thing. Thank you so much for leaving your reviews. I appreciate it. We are in a 96. We got four more to go to get to 100. So if you haven't already, please stop. Just a little bit. I don't. I just want to say that. But stop right now and go leave a review on the podcast. I would really appreciate it. Five star, please. Boom. So you know I'm pumped about this episode. And I just want to slide into this intro. First and foremost, this young lady has been contacting me for the last six months, reminding me that, because I, I made her fill out the survey to get on the show. She filled it out. She's like, Greg, okay, um, did you did you, did you you look at the survey? And then a couple months went by, Greg, did you look at the survey? And I was like, oh, snap, I forgot to look at it. So she was persistent. She followed up. She followed through. And I had to make sure she was on the show. And her story is unique. First and foremost, because I know next year I'll be going in to get my MBA degree, and I know I'm going to need a lot of money to fund that thing, because if, if I go, I'm going to go top 10 or top 20, and you know, that's like 60000 a year, and I already got debt from a and I, I shout out to a and I love my alma mater, but I got student loans, and this young lady right here, she has accumulated over $500,000 in scholarships while applying to her undergraduate and graduate degree, so this is not just undergrad, and her graduate degree, $500,000, and I was like, oh my goodness, I got to get on the show, and so if you're a parent, if you are a student, if you are a young adult considering going back to get your undergrad, finishing it up, 
getting your graduate degree or your upgrade, you need to tune into this episode. And after the episode, you need to reach out to her because she's affordable too and schedule a session because her insight, her knowledge about this process is crazy. Helen, all the way from East Point, Georgia, graduate of Columbus State University. She's a part-time Aggie. I had to give her that because she she came to A&T for a year or so and then had to leave due to some circumstances we'll, we'll get into on the podcast. But she is an incredibly driven, smart, ambitious woman hailing from Atlanta, East Point, Georgia, to be exact. And she has a story for you. Like I said, accumulated over $500,000 in scholarships. And she started her own company called The Scholarship Coaches, where she coaches individuals all the way from kindergarten to 97 years old. It all ages, all sizes, whatever. If you're trying to get education, you're trying to get the thing paid for, she got you. And she's going to drop some bombs on us today. So without further ado, I would like to introduce Ariel Andrews, the scholarship coach to the Minority Trailblazer podcast. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so Ariel, Ariel, as we always do it, as we begin the show, I always like to start the show off with a quote. So can you share with our audience a quote that you live by and a story on how you apply that quote to your everyday life? Hmm. Okay. A quote that I live by. Um, wow. I feel like I can think of, <laughs> I think I, I can think of so many things that I live by. Um, but really, and it's crazy. One quote, quote unquote, that I live by the song that I wake up to every morning, that's my alarm, is Rick Ross, Every Day I'm Hustling. <laughs> <laughs> and the reason why that's one of the quotes that, um, that you know, stick dear, that, that is really dear to me is because, I mean, every day is a hustle, regardless to, you know, if you're working on your business, you're working on another job, like you're looking for scholarships, you're trying to, you know, get it in school, whatever the case may be, you know, every day is a hustle. So... That would be the quote that I would pretty much say um, goes with my life and just what I've been doing forever. I've been hustling since 1993 to 2016. Every day has been a hustle. Mm, I love that. I love that. I love that. What's your, what's your best hustle story, though? Hmm, my best hustle story will probably be how I got my scholarships, actually. Um, when I started out in school, I went to a Title I school. Um, which means pretty much everybody or majority of the school was on free and reduced lunch. Mm -hmm. um, we had suffering test scores. Um, they pretty much had wiped their hands with us. It was pretty much like, you know, you're going to be like your mama is. You're not doing this. You're not going to do that. And um, at the time, my counselors just really weren't supportive. Um, but I, I figured that I wanted to go to college. I was like, well, you know, I know I don't want to be in East Point forever. So mm -hmm. I guess I'll go to school. <laughs> and I graduated with a pretty good GPA. Um, I always kept my GPA up uh, because school for me was was easy. Um, it was just a matter of you know cramming right before the test. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, don't tell that all the parents and kids out here listening. <laughs> I mean, not everybody can work like that, but I mean that's how it was in high school. College is not like that; it's a little different. But um, but in high school, that was pretty much the the hustle for me. I would you know get go to the library for maybe an hour before a test or something, and I would just pretty much cram. I might have a computer class. Our cram in there because you know of course we didn't do much in the computer class but um so yeah like I said my GPA was pretty good and I was like okay well I'm gonna try to go to college I visited one school pretty much um I saw it I was like okay let's do this let's go here it wasn't like you know area went on college tours it was just the first school pretty much I picked it I was like, okay it's college I'll do it um and then I started to realize that okay you have to pay for school <laughs> it's not like you just go sign your name and then mm -hmm. you like 
start classes Monday. Um, and my family is, I, wanna, I don't want to say not educated because, you know, some people are good and things, but as far as like college education, my family mm-hmm. is really big in that. So it, I really didn't have anybody to reach out to to kind of explain the process. Um, so for me, I just went on YouTube. YouTube was my best friend back then. I went on YouTube. <laughs> I watched videos. Um, I reached out to like some of my teachers and I just tried to figure out everything. And eventually um, I was able to create a process. So one day I heard one of my English teachers walking down the hall telling another student, you know, try to get as much scholarship money as you can, because anything that you get over the cost of tuition, you get back in a refund check just for you. And I was thinking, like, I, I know that's not, <laughs> she's not saying what I think she's saying. And so, you know, I just Googled, tried to research and stuff, and, you know, it showed that it was true. So I was like, okay, well, I'm just going to go ahead and apply for scholarships and stuff. You know, not really just focus on getting a refund check, but just really focus on funding everything so I didn't have to get a loan. Um, and I had a computer class that we didn't do anything in at all. All we did was sit in there, listen to music, play cards. So I just took that time, and in that class, I would look for scholarships. I would look for scholarships. I'd write my essays, and i apply. I didn't have anybody to look over them. Anytime I wrote it, I did my own editing and revising, and I submitted it, recommendations. I probably shouldn't say this, but a lot of, for my, a lot of my um, teachers and my counselors, it was just a matter of I wrote my own recommendations, and they would sign it. Mm-hmm. And I would <laughs> just write them, write my recommendations, change them up for each scholarship, take them to my counselor if a counselor had to sign or take it to whichever teacher had to sign. And then I would just submit my application. So pretty much the whole process, what I could do independently, I did it on my own. Um, And for undergrad, I received over 300,000 for undergrad alone just to go to school. And I started to realize that, you know, you can keep applying while you're in school. So even Mm -hmm. once I got to college, I kept applying and there were scholarships that I applied for that I would get every single year because I would be the only person that would apply. And so for me, that became um, that became my hustle. Like I had friends that like, oh, you know, I need money. I need this. And I'm like, I'm not going to be broke (laughs) (laughs) because I'm getting, you know, a refund check. Like I always tell people in my speaking engagement, my first refund check was twenty thousand dollars. So, of course, you 18 years old, that's more money than I've ever seen in my life. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I just like I said, I just increased the increased the hustle. I just kept applying. And then when I got ready for graduate school, people were like, well, you know, it's not going to be the same process when you get ready to go to graduate school because it's not as many scholarships. I said, "Okay, I'll show you. (laughs) So I did the same thing when I started A&T. I got um, everything covered, got a full ride and I got a three thousand dollar month stipend. Um, I left there and now I'm in Albany State. It's the same thing. I'm still getting a stipend, still have everything paid for by scholarship. It's just a matter of saying that you're going to do something and sticking to it. And that's that's my best hustle story. <laughs> Dang, I I, I, I want to get to the the backstory, but we, since we already here, it's got so many questions I ask. Like one, because I know a lot of people listening, they're in that grad school grind, and they're about to. Some of them are transitioning to grad school or graduated from it. But how did you attack the process via like step by step? If you had to break it down, um, how how did you a, a, attack the process of searching, finding, applying, and receiving those those uh, scholarships for grad school? Mm-hmm, okay. So for grad school, the process is different. And the reason why it's different, of course, because like people say, it is harder, but it's not impossible. Impossible does not exist in my um, vocabulary. So I was like, okay, you know, I kind of had to revamp what I did in undergrad and kind of change some of the things around. So the first place I started, which a lot of people don't think of, I started with the Divine Nine. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. I started looking um, at every Divine Nine, well, all nine organizations to see what type of scholarship programs they had. Because when I was in high school, I received an AKA scholarship and I received, um, no, no, in high school, I only received an AKA scholarship. So like I said, I just started to look through the local chapters. I started to look through nationals. I started to look through all of those and I ended up finding scholarships. I got an Alpha Phi Alpha scholarship for graduate school. <laughs> I got <an> AKA <laughs> I received an AKA scholarship and I'm waiting to hear back from Sigma Gamma Rho and Zeta Phi Beta. Now with those, what I always tell people, especially for graduate school, a lot of times those scholarships only require that you're enrolled in college. They do not have specific guidelines as far as, you know, you have to be high school, you have to be undergrad. So even if you're working on your doctorate, you're in medical school, and even students who are in technical school can apply for these scholarships. Because all they have to do is be enrolled in a college and university or a technical school. Mm-hmm. So since the world is so open and so broad, then you can apply. And of course, you know, you can win. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that was the first place that I started. The second place was, which is crazy, but funeral homes. What? A lot of, yes, a lot of funeral homes offer scholarships. And it's the same exact thing with the D9. They don't have really strict guidelines. It's just you have to be enrolled in school. You may have to have, you know, a 2.5 GPA. So I just started out there. So anywhere I would go on Google and pull up funeral homes in Atlanta, Georgia. Mm-hmm. Start <laughs> so local. I, mm-hmm, exactly. Start local. Because locally, the smaller you can get your window, the better off your chances of winning. Of course, if you go, you know, you apply for these national scholarships and things like that, you may be competing with 100,000 people. But I always stress to my students, you want to look for those local scholarships where it may only be you and five other people that apply Mm -hmm. because you have a better chance of winning as opposed to competing with 100,000 people. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so that was the other thing that I did. I looked looked on their website. If they didn't have anything on their website, I gave them a call. Whatever I needed to do. Oh, so you were calling people and you create some, so some scholarships they didn't have when you was like, oh, I'm a call, (laughs) I'm a student or whatever. And they were like, we're going to work something out for you. Yeah, exactly. And that was. Another way that I had, I worked it out with um, a Masonic Lodge that was here. That's another place to check. Um, I actually worked with a guy. He was um, a Mason. And I was like, well, do y'all give out scholarships? And he was like, we don't have a scholarship program. He was like, but every year we have to give so much as a member to somebody so we can sponsor you. I was like, oh. <laughs> so I created my own scholarship. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, so it's just, like I said, it's a hustle. And, you know, I hated this a negative connotation on the word hustle. But, I mean, that's that's all it is. It's a hustle. You just have to create a process, stick to it, and you just have to do it. And that's how I got my graduate education funded. Of course, um, along with, I don't want to say harassing the school, but <laughs> making sure to call, contact anybody that you possibly can. I always stress to my clients, financial aid is not the only department that funds, that gives money for school. Mm-hmm. Um when I was at North Carolina A&T, the person who paid with well, the department that paid for my out-of-state tuition, because I was, of course, out-of-state, was the graduate school. And then after that, you go to academic um, success. They have institutional advancement. All of those different departments have the opportunity to give money for students. So don't just stop at financial aid. If they tell you, no, keep going, keep pressing forward, keep looking for these other departments, because these other departments... Um, have money that they can give out that they've gotten from alumni, that they've gotten through sponsorships or whatever the case may be. Um, and a lot of times people just don't know, so they don't even know how to ask. Mm. That's crazy. So that, that's that's fantastic. Thank you for dropping these jewels on us so early in the show. But let's, let's backtrack because I know, do you, do you have any siblings? 
No, I'm an only child. <laughs> only child, and then you, because what what is East Point, Georgia like? Because I'm not I'm not familiar with East Point, Georgia. Okay, so let me tell you about my great city. Um, <laughs> East Point, Georgia is south of the south side of Metro Atlanta. Most people who are from East Point are just going to tell you they're from Atlanta. You ask them what, ta- what side, they're going to say south side. Um, East Point is the home of Outkast, which everybody, of course, knows about. Mm-hmm. Um, Candy from Escape. Um, I think it's Keenan from Keenan and Kale. Like, we had a lot of people who... Oh, Keenan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we had a lot of people who graduated from um, my high school, Tri-Cities High School. It's a school of the performing arts, but it's still in the middle of East Point. I'm not sure if you've ever heard of Helen and Delo. Like, they always mm-hmm. talk about Outkast. Like, that's that's a really big cultural center. And Greenbrier Mall is really big for us um, on the south side um, in East Point. So East Point is, I like to call them progressive. You know, we're we're trying to grow. We're trying to do better. Um, but I feel like we really need more leadership. Mm-hmm. And hopefully one day I may come back and be the mayor. You know, you never know what life <laughs> might be. <laughs> uh-huh. But um, most of the people who live in East Point are well below the poverty line. Um, we don't have that many. We don't have any recreation centers now that I can think of. So a lot That's of times in East Point you will see people roaming the street. But one thing that I can say about East Point, although people have their stigmas on us, especially with us being on the south side, we are very family oriented. And if you meet somebody in East Point, you have met a family member. Like whenever I'm passing down the street, even though Atlanta is becoming like this big mecca and a lot of people are moving here in East Point, you can ride down the street and your neighbors or whatever will wave at you. So it's still like that Southern hospitality that's still in East Point, even though we're, you know, a part of a, a large metropolitan area. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but yeah, I, I mean, East Point is great. Like I said, we, we have some things we need to work on, but I love my city and nobody will ever get me to say anything different. Oh man, I love that. I love that. I love that. So with with that being said though, how did you so how was um how did you first hear about scholarships? You said your parents really weren't I mean your your mom you you grew up with just majority of your mom, right? Well no, my mom and dad was okay. there. It was yeah, it was some periods where things were a little different, but <laughs> for the most part, yeah, my mom and dad were there. Okay. But um Mm-hmm. But what were you asking now? Yeah. So with that, how did you, how, how, what was your first, so you overheard a conversation with a teacher and that's what kind of teacher is in scholarships. Like what made you think, because honestly in high school, I heard about scholarships. I got, I received one from A&T, but I didn't really apply to outside of maybe mm, five or six, but I really mm-hmm. wasn't drove into it. So what triggered in your head to not only say okay i'm i'm i find you what how, first of all how'd you find out about scholarships and when they existed and then to say not only i'm gonna find out but i'm going to take the next level and actually do and fill out a lot of them because i know mm-hmm. a lot of people you hear about stuff like that or even take this outside the scholarship text so people they hear about these grand new business ideas or these opportunities but people mm-hmm. don't take the the time to actually do it. So what triggered in your head as a high schooler to not only hear that information, but then take it to that whole next level without being from that kind of background? Yeah. Um, like I said, I, I wanted to get out of East Point. That was my thing. Um, the stigma is like, if you stay in East Point, <laughs> you're not going to be anything. <laughs> so for me, I was like, I got to get out of here. Even if I come back, I know I have to leave. I know I have to spread my wings and try some other places. And of course, you know, as a high school student, what other way is there to get away from home than to go to school? So um, with that, like I said earlier, you know, I just I realized that you can't just go to college. You have to pay for it. 
And of course, my year is so crazy because the state of Georgia has the Hope Scholarship, which 10 years ago, it used to be great. It used to pay your tuition, fees, and give you a book stipend. But just so happened, my senior year, they cut it. Oh, I so, remember that's the one you had, as long as you had over 3-0, right? Yep, exactly. Yep, that's exactly it. But my senior year, they told us, they uh, made an announcement. They said that we would be the first year that will go into effect that the Hope Scholarship would change drastically. And when I tell you it changed drastically, I mean, it messed a lot of students up. They cut the book stipend, they cut the fees, and they cut the full tuition. Now you had to have a certain ACT and SAT score, and you had to be either valedictorian or salutatorian in order to receive 90% of your tuition to be paid for. Yeah. So it messed up a lot of my friends because you had to have at least a 3.5 for them to pay like 90% when, of course, before it was a B average and you can get it paid for so it was like a lot of people were kind of like scrambling at the last minute trying to figure out how they were going to pay for school. Um, and so once I found that out, I was like, well, I got to go another route <laughs> because I need to figure out how I'm going to get into school. And like I said, I, of course, I overheard the lady talking about um, how you can keep the money that you get after the scholarships. But one lucky thing that happened to me, well, I don't want to just say luck. It was definitely a blessing that happened to me is I was online one day. I had to be on Facebook or MySpace, one of the two. <laughs> and um, I just so happened to pass by this new scholarship program. And the new scholarship program was called the Buick Achievers Scholarship Program. And it was the first year that they started and it was $100,000 for all four years. And I was like, okay, well, this seems cool. And it's so crazy because my mom, she didn't want me to apply for it because she said it didn't seem legitimate. Uh-huh. And I was like, no, I, I think it's pretty legit. <laughs> so I applied anyway. Like I said, it was the first year and I won. And that was wow. like $100,000 to jumpstart. And once I received that, I was like, this is going to be, this. that was all I needed. I went to school in-state to a state school. So, of course, it wasn't that expensive. So I had everything pretty much paid for. But then after that, of course, that money afterwards was just coming back to me in the form of a refund check. So, um, so yeah, so like I said, it was just seeing my, hearing the the teacher talk about it. It was the fact that I knew that I had to get money for school. So that's what kind of sparked my interest in scholarships. And I always been a go-getter. So it's like, you know, if I see an opportunity and especially with scholarships, all I have to do is write an essay. I write essays for free in my English class. I can, I can of course, write an essay to get, you know, a thousand dollars. Like I tell people all the time, I apply for every scholarship that I qualify for. So even if it was a scholarship that was $100, I was applying for it. If it was $10,000, I applied for it. Even if it would have been one that said, we'll give you $15, I would have applied for it because I apply for everything that I possibly qualify for, everything that I see, everything that I um, that I could possibly find, I applied for it. I didn't take no for, <laughs> for an answer. Like I did not jump or miss over anything. If I could fit it in before the deadline, like in some scholarships, I will find it the day before the deadline and managed to flip the application in and get it in by the next day. Like that's just that's that was my mentality. I had that will do attitude instead of the can do. So anything that that came to me, anything that I saw that I found, I would get it in. It was no excuses. Oh man, that's fantastic. So let's let's fast forward to your college decision. I know we talked about it a little bit beforehand, but what college you end up attending in undergrad and any any angst about your decision? Yes, most definitely. <laughs> I attended um, Columbus State University, which is in Columbus, Georgia, which is about an hour and a half away from um, Atlanta. 
it was it was different. I appreciate the opportunity because I do feel like it it created the adult inside of me. Um, while a lot of my friends who went to HBCUs, they stayed on campus all four years. You know, they had these events. They go back to homecoming. Um, I missed out on that opportunity. Um, after the first year, of course, we were required to stay on campus the first year. Um, we didn't have the whole community bathrooms and stuff like that. I had we had our own apartment, and we would just share the the kitchen and the living areas. We had my own bathroom, own room, um, mm-hmm. and you know we didn't really have that many campus activities. So my freshman year, I got a job as a pharmacy technician because at the time I was I thought that I wanted to be a pharmacist, which was completely incorrect. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, I got a job as a pharmacy technician and working forty hours a week. And going to class, taking full loads, taking 21 hours and everything. And I was just, I was going to work, coming home, going to class. Like, it was no really, you know, have fun, hang out with your friends. And and honestly, for the first two years of college, I didn't really have any friends. Because I was too dedicated to the hustle. I was too dedicated to trying to, you know, get my pockets up, trying to save his money. You know, by the time I was a sophomore, I was ready to buy a house. (laughs) So... You know, it was just, like I said, it was just a, a, a hustle. And I really feel like I missed out on the college experience, which I've gotten now because I've been able to go um, to different schools. But I really missed out on that fresh new college experience, networking, making those lifetime um, those lifetime networks and connections that you made. Like a lot of my friends that went to HBCUs, you know, they're still friends with the people who they came in with. Like they're close, like they're in each other's weddings. They're, you know, coming to each other's baby showers. I can't say for me, I really have that from my undergrad. Um, as far as like professors, faculty members, I don't, I'm not really in contact. I don't go back and visit the school. They have homecoming. I've never been to homecoming. I just, it's just not the same. Um, but as a master's student, (laughs) (laughs) North Carolina A&T and even, um, Albany State, it has been completely different. Like arms are wide open. The people at North Carolina A&T with me, especially being out of state, they just loved on me. It was just so crazy. It was almost like I was meeting long lost family members. Like people would invite me over the house after just meeting me. It was, people were feeding me. People were helping me. It was just the the culture is so different. That's why I always tell people I'm pro HBCU because the love that you're going to get there is like no other. You will not get that at a PWI. I can promise you that. You will get that at even the smallest or the largest PWI. You will not get that love that you get from the HBCU um, because when I withdrew from school, it was because I had a definite family. And I was just so, it was so heartfelt because my professors, my um, some of the administrators, even my supervisors, they reached out to me because they saw, because I guess they sent an email around. They sent an email with the obituary around because, you know, saying I was withdrawing from school. They reached out to me and was, you know, how are you doing? How's everything? You know, let me know if you need anything, like sending me gift cards and stuff like this because I had a death in my family. I was like, wow, this is <laughs> crazy that people who only knew me, you know, for almost a year were acting more like family than some of my family members. <laughs> uh-huh. Like they were really concerned about me and how I was as a person. And of course, like the students and the friends that I made there, even though I left, like I, I'm still in contact with them. A lot of them have moved to Atlanta um, if they come and visit in Atlanta, we connect, we go out to lunch, we do events. Um, I have a friend, her birthday is coming up next week, and I met her at North Carolina A&T. Um, well, it's her and her, her, her and her husband's birthday, um, and I'm supposed to be going up there, just spending the time with them in Greensboro, hanging out with them. And, 
you know, just like I said, the connections that I've made, I could definitely say I've met some of my best friends at North Carolina A&T, even as a master's student, which is so crazy because you think master's, you know, you're working a job, you're going to, you know, taking a class in the afternoon, you're not really trying to meet people. But I met some of the best connections in my life that I feel um, as a master's student at North Carolina A&T. Mm, that's fantastic. And um, I do want to ask you a couple of questions, uh, a question briefly about how did you deal with getting getting back on track after the passing of a, of a close family member? Yeah, um, most definitely. Um, what I always tell people and the way I look at life is if I wake up in the morning and I open my eyes, that means I still have a purpose. So it's no matter how bad or how terrible things seem. Um, a lot of times I just try to remind myself that I still have a purpose because I'm still breathing. So that's the way I usually try to deal with any type of adversity that I'm faced with is the fact that, you know, I, there's always there's always an opportunity for tomorrow to be different. Like, you know, it's, it's always a way for you to improve. Like this is not going to last always. And especially with dealing with a death, especially someone in the family. And just seeing the people around you, you just have to stay encouraged. You just have to, like I said, keep realizing that you're here and you have a purpose that your test, you know, what you're going through now is going to one day become a testimony that you can help somebody else in. Because I I wish I would have had somebody who could have told me, hey, you know, I've been through what you've been through. I know how it is, you know, relocating from six hours away and trying to get all of this and handling um, a death in the family, dealing with sad parents and sad family members and you know, dealing with funeral arrangements, all of that. Um, I wish somebody could have reached out and just patted me on the back like, Ariel, it's going to be okay. <laughs> it's going to be okay. Um, but yeah, but I just always try to be an encouragement to myself and tell myself that, you know, you you still have a purpose. So you got to keep pushing. You have to keep pressing forward because this is going to one day become your testimony for somebody else. Mm. I love that advice. I love that advice. So let's transition into present day. So what... When did you say, okay, I, I'm a, I, I got these scholarships, I'm hustling, doing that. What, when was the transition to say, hold up, I got a business. I got a business in this and, and, and going full time. I know you briefly talked about it via intro, but what was the turning point when you said, let me make this a business? Okay, yeah. Um, well, I was working when I came back home from A&T. Of course, I was like, okay, I need to get a job because I was just sitting around the house. <laughs> um, after dealing with that and, of course, you know, after dealing with a death in the family, if you just sit around, you can – dwell in it all day so i was like well let me get a job i need to get in back into the workforce get back into making money um so i got a job as a recruiter which is it was always my dream job i've always loved hr i've always loved recruiting because i love that people that people people connection like being able to say that you offer someone a job or you know hearing the smile in somebody's voice over the phone when you tell them we would like to offer you the position mm -hmm. so <laughs> so that was something that i just always loved to do. And I got, like I said, I got my dream job at a company called Pro Logistics. I was working um, and hiring people who were in warehouse and Fort Lift, mm -hmm. which I love working with. Um, I love working with guys, especially in warehouse and Fort Lift, because they're so easy going. It's like, you know, you offer them a job, tell them how much it is. They say, okay, I'm going to be there tomorrow. <laughs> um, and I loved, I loved what I, what I did. Um, but my company merged. They merged, uh -huh. with, yeah, they merged with another top company, which it happened the year that I got hired. But the merger wasn't complete until the next year, which is now 2016. Um, and, it, you know, we everybody thought it was going to be OK. But, of course, usually when they merge, they have to make places for people, especially people who have been there up management. 
And um, one day I went to lunch and, you know, everything was fine. I came back and my supervisor was like, you know, come over here. Let me, you know, come in the room. Let me speak to you. And she was like, you know, I hate it because you're a great worker. I love what you do. You know, you because before I got there, um, our branch was suffering. But by the time I stayed there for about six months, we were number one in the country in the for our company. So, you know, I pretty much helped take the company from zero to hero. <laughs> but um, but yeah, but she was like, I hate to, to tell you this, but we have to let you go because we have oh, to man. have and create the position for someone in upper management who's been here longer than you have. And I was like, oh, wow. <laughs> you know, you never think it's going to happen to you, especially at the time. I was 22. Um, I was 22, and I just signed a lease on my apartment. And um, it was just like, wow, okay. So let's, let's what's, what's from here? You know, when is my last day? And she was like, your last day is today. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. So she was like, you know, you can get your stuff, anything you need to get off the computer, you know, it's fine or whatever, but we have to start this person on Monday. I was like, okay, well, that's fine. So me and a few other people were let go. Um, but it was pretty much the last people who came in were the first people out. And after that, it, 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 I was embarrassed. I was really embarrassed because I felt like I always been able to control my future. And this, this was one of the first times that I felt like I was not in control, which was kind of alarming to me. So I was like, okay, you know, I searched for jobs for a little while. Nothing was coming through, nothing I was interested in, things with, that were too far. Um, because, of course, being in Atlanta, people think you, you're going to travel 45 minutes to get to work and sit in traffic for two hours. But I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't about to do that. Mm-hmm. I stayed five minutes from my job. Um, it was just everything was perfect. And when they let me go, it really kind of shook my, shook my world. Um, but, yeah, like I said, I applied for jobs and nothing was working out. And I was like, you know what? I'm tired of this. I was like, I just want to do what I feel like I've been called to do. I feel like I've always been a hustler, even from when I was in elementary school, I used to sell, I'm not sure if you're familiar, but we used to do this thing with like string. It was like, we used to uh, little keychains and stuff. Oh yeah, 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 I remember those (laughs) So I used to sell those for 50 cents. I used to go to Walmart, buy the big bundle, and cut off, you know, pieces and sell them for 50 cents. So I would come home with big bags of chains and just save it up. So I've always been a quote unquote entrepreneur. That's something that I've always been from selling candy to doing whatever I possibly could. I've always been um, an entrepreneur because I, I hated the feeling of being broke. I don't like that feeling. <laughs> so, um, you know, I was just like, you know, I feel like I've been called to be an entrepreneur. So I was like, let's do it. So I just pretty much brainstormed what I was good at. Um, and I realized that, you know, a lot of people had heard about my story about me getting, you know, the money that I got for school. That when I was an undergrad, people would reach out to me. I would kind of help them, teach them my process, kind of help them get scholarships, send them scholarships, um, help them edit and revise the essays. And I was like, hmm. And like I, um, I had a friend up in North Carolina. We're friends. We're still friends today. The motivational speaker um, that I was telling you about before, mm-hmm. um, William Lee, that he he was telling me like, you know, you could be getting paid for what you do. And I was like, oh, really? <laughs> so that just kept playing back and forth in my head. And I was like, okay. Well, let me go ahead and get this business started. Let me set up a website. Let me get a business card. You know, once you get a business card, you're officially in business then. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I get a business card. And on um, my first day, before I even had a website up, I joined this black-owned business group. And it's about, it's probably about forty or 50,000 people in that group. And I posed a question. And that first day after I posed a question, I told him what I did. This guy inboxed me and was like, hey, I would like for you to work with my son. 
And that was when I attracted my first client. So after that, I pretty much grew. I created the website. Um, I just reached out to people. Different people reached out to me. And it was just history from there. People started asking me to speak at um, teen summits and coming to different events and setting up, doing workshops. Mm-hmm. And just things, you know, they just grew from there. So, and, you know, here I am today. <laughs> Man, that's fantastic. So how how was it when you initially first started, like, getting clients? Was it was a slow? Like, how was the first year of it? Um, People came quick because I feel like most people haven't heard of people doing the scholarship culture. And I know personally, because I've done my research, mm-hmm. I find about four, four or five other people who do what I do pretty much, you know, scholarship coaching and teaching you how to apply and things. But they're so scattered out. Like some people are in California. It's a guy who's in Alabama. And there's actually a girl right here in Atlanta um, who does it as well. But, you know, with so many people going back to school, you know, a lot of people haven't heard about these people. So for them to see me in the Black-Owned Business Group, um, that's where I attracted a lot of my clients. And, of course, with my website, if somebody goes online, I worked on, you know, getting my getting my website higher up in the Google search. So mm-hmm. when people for, you know, scholarship coaching, if that's what they Google, then they'll see mine either on the first or the second page. So, you know, I just started attracting clients like that. And like I said, it picked up rather quickly, um, which was scary for me because the way that I set up my business at first, um, I couldn't work with no more than probably three clients mm-hmm. only because it's so personable. And it's like I really have to know my client. I have to know what school, what the GPA, the extracurricular. So it's really like I'm friends. I'm befriending my clients. So I have to know um, I have to know that personal information to kind of connect them with the scholarships that work with them. Mm-hmm. So it was really a learning process because I, I, I got burned out quickly. Because even though looking for scholarships and, and helping kids apply and stuff is something that I love to do, I absolutely have a passion for, um, I was beginning to do more of that and not eating, not sleeping, not doing everything. <laughs> and, of course, I was still, you know, getting my master's. Uh-huh. So I'm trying to balance all of this. And, like I said, I got burned out. Um, and I just had to recreate my process. So now I'm to the point where... Is more, I, I still have a relationship. It's still a one-on-one, but now I have things more um, systematic. Mm-hmm. So now I'm teaching them, instead of me just sending them scholarships, I'm teaching them the process that you use to find scholarships on your own, mm-hmm. which I feel like is allowing them to get a better value for what, you know, for their coaching session. Because now they can take what I teach them and continue all throughout their college career, as opposed to when I first started out, it was just me sending them scholarships that didn't learn how to look for them. Um, they didn't learn how to write the essay. It was just pretty much you me. Just giving them fishes. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> just giving, just giving them all the scholarships and everything. So, um, like I said, now it's it's a better value because now they can take what I teach them and they can use it. And I'm still growing now because I know it's I know it's a better way to do what I'm doing now. But of course, I'm just learning as I go. That's the that's the fun part. Is I'm learning as I go. Now, how long? How long? First of all, that's that's fantastic. And how long does it usually take? How long do you usually work with clients? Is it like a to 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 get the desired impact? And have you been able to kind of gauge some of the impact you've had thus far? Yes, definitely. Um, I've started working with. I started working out with clients um, two week sessions. So that first week, I do webinars, and if they're local, then I do it in person. But most of my clients are um, long distance, so we do webinars via Skype. I go over these PowerPoints and just go over, you know, how to locate scholarships, 
how to um, what to do during the application process, where I go over the difference between a professional and an academic resume. I tell them what to do and what not to do during the application process. And then my last thing is my follow up and follow through. And my follow up and follow through is pretty much I try to tell people what you can do even after you submit your application to increase your chances of winning a scholarship. Because I serve, um, I received the opportunity to serve on a scholarship committee board, which is great for me because now I get to see firsthand the mistakes that students are making when they send the scholarship. So I can use that and tell my clients what to not do when you submit your application. Mm. So, and after that, the next week when we work together, it's kind of, I give the student the chance to work more independently, but I'm kind of, you know, over their shoulder to kind of give them um, guidance. So I say, okay, you know, you have this, you went through the webinars, we did exercises, we had homework assignments. So this week, I want you to find me three scholarships that you um, qualify for, that you feel like you qualify for. Of course, they'll send them to me, I look over, make sure that they're legit, and um, then they'll apply, they'll write the essays, send them to me, I edit them, revise it, I give them feedback, let them know, okay, you know, this is a good essay, the content is great, however, we need something that's going to grab, be more of an attention grabber at the beginning. Mm-hmm. So I just them through that, kind of help them through that, and also help them with the follow-through and the follow-up. Most of my clients renew for another two weeks because they want to make sure that they can get the, um, that they kind of get the the gist of things. They kind of understand how everything works. So they usually renew for another two weeks. Usually after three to four sessions, my students are completely able to be independent to do it on their own. Like I said, that's, they could take that as an undergrad, graduate, they're going to doctoral school. I mean, they're going for the doctoral degree or they're going to medical school, whatever the case may be, they can take what I teach them and they can use it forever. <laughs> and teach uh, them. That's fantastic, <laughs> man. Like, so you, so you, your clients usually ran from undergrad, grad, all levels, right? Elementary school. I started as early as elementary school, all the way up to the doctoral level. How do you do what you, how do you get scholarships to elementary school? <laughs> <laughs> there are scholarships for elementary students. What they do is once you apply, um, if you win, they just keep in contact with you until you get into usually your junior or senior year of high school. Then, of course, you tell them what college you plan to attend and they cut the check and <laughs> they send the check to the school. But, yes, you can start as early as elementary school. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, that's fantastic. And not to give away too many of your secrets, but what are some of the, I guess, for the high level, what are some of the mistakes that people usually do as far as uh, scholarships? You talking about just as the applica- during the application process? Yeah, during, yeah, during the application process. Okay. One of the main problems that I see students have, and it's so crazy because I feel like we learned this. I give two, actually. The first thing is they have an unprofessional email address. Mm. I do not want to see cherry cupcake. <laughs> Yahoo.com. That's unprofessional. I always tell people to make sure you create a website. I mean, make sure you create an email that has like your first, last name. And if you have a number, then put a number, you know, at gmail.com, whatever the case may be. And then the second thing is, I get so many people who start out their essays like this. Hi, my name is Ariel Andrews. I'm an MBA student at Albany State University, and I'm applying for the scholarship because. <laughs> <laughs> and I always tell students, okay, I, I get where you're coming from, but please do not start out your essay like that. Now, I do want you to put that information in there later on, maybe in the, in the body paragraphs, let them know what your concentration is, what school you're attending, but that first paragraph, that's like your first impression. You have to grab somebody's attention. Mm-hmm. So I always tell people, don't be, try to be unconventional. Like, don't be afraid to use an exclamation mark. Don't be afraid to use um, a question mark. 
don't be afraid to start off differently, you know, than most people start at the essays, you know, just be creative. Like you don't have to be so uptight, you know, because with me looking at scholarship essays and I usually have to look at like 20 a day when I'm writing them, it gets tiring. And if your essay starts out, hi, my name is so-and-so, I'm probably not going to continue to read. I'm probably going to love it. You know, but you want something that's going to grab the attention because you're looking at so many essays. The scholarship committee is looking at so many essays that when they get something that really grabs their attention, they want to hold on to it. They want to keep reading. Like, that's what you want your scholarship committee to do, to want to keep reading. So that first paragraph, even that first sentence is so very important. And that's one of the main issues or the main um, mistakes that I see a lot of people make is just by not grabbing the attention at the beginning of the essay. Mm. I said that. And honestly, that can be brought down to, to anything through a blog writing, through conversations with people that don't have a lot of time on their hands, like interviews, like, okay, so tell me about yourself. Well, like, I'm, I'm Greg, you're like graduated. Now you gotta, you gotta get to the money. Like a lot of people short sell them, short sell themselves. And it's crazy, especially high school. I mean, because we live in a society where sadly is some, sometimes, it could be a lot more pessimistic than optimistic. So we don't really tell students, especially students, they get a, a lot of students, they don't get that much encouragement, like what they're good at. They get what they need to improve. So when it times comes to interview or apply for scholarships, they can't really brag about themselves. Like they just, they don't know how to. So that's great that you're doing that, um, that sort of work. So if you could highlight real quick, some of your, your your biggest challenges as an entrepreneur and some of your biggest successes as a as, so far? Okay. Um, I can definitely say my biggest challenge is, and it's so crazy because I have my undergraduate degree in business mm-hmm. and I also I'm working on my master's of business administration. And even though I'm in both of those programs, my biggest challenge was starting my business, was to legally start my business. Mm-hmm. And the and being is because when you're a business major, um, you know, you learn the you learn the basics or whatever. You learn the difference between a sole proprietorship and an LLC, but you never learn how to actually get those established. And that was the hardest thing for me because like like even with the scholarships, I didn't really have anybody to reach out to to ask that question. Um, so it was pretty much a matter of me posing questions and the black owned business group that I'm a part of. It was me doing my research, me trying to reach out to the small business administration, the local um, the local department that they have, just trying to kind of figure out. And it was a lot of work. It was a lot of work trying to get everything established from opening up my own business account, um, my business banking account to, you know, creating how do you get an LLC established? What's really the difference, the legal difference between having an LLC and having a sole proprietorship? Like what are the advantages or disadvantages of it? So that was my biggest challenge because I just really, I had to really get down and grind and figure out, you know, what the difference was between, you know, having the book knowledge, but actually putting that into place and actually getting things started. Um, as far as my successes, um, I have to say that my major success had to be with a client that I was working with um, that didn't have all that great of a GPA. Um I don't want to, well, I don't want to say that they didn't have what you would consider to be a great GPA. Like they didn't have an A average or anything. They had like a, it was a high C, um, but they were like pretty much discouraged. They was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm not going to be able to go to school. I know that you usually have to have an A plus average to get scholarships. And I was like, no, you don't. (laughs) You do not have to have a 4.0. 
You do not have to be involved in all of this extracurricular. You just have to find those scholarships that are just for you. And that's what I worked on um, with him. We worked hard. That was probably the hardest I've ever worked with a client because I could tell that he was really down on his, he felt like he was down on his luck, but I could see the passion and I could see the life in him. So I just could not let go. <laughs> so I kept working with him even after we stopped our sessions because I, I tell people, I want to make money to live, but money is not my, my main motivator. My thing is to make a difference. Mm-hmm. And like I said, I, started, I kept working with him even after our um, sessions had ended because I believed in what he was doing. And so, like I said, he had like a 2.8 GPA. You know, he, he wasn't really that involved, but he loved music and he wanted to go into um, engineering. Mm-hmm. So I took that, especially once he said engineering, I said, I could definitely help you. So what happened is, which is so great, and I love to tell this story, the same $100,000 scholarship that I received, the Buick Achievers, is the same one that he received. Are you serious? Yes. So I, once I started working with him and he wow. said, engineering, I said, okay, I know the perfect scholarship for you. So we put our foot in that application. Like <laughs> I took everything. I said, think of anything that you could possibly think of that you even did for a weekend of community service and let's expand on it. Like let's you know, create it so it can sound good. So people can be like, oh, this is really great. And you just did it for four hours on the weekend. Like I can take what somebody gives me and I can make it grow. And that's exactly what we did. And I was so happy and he was so happy and he was able to go to his school. He wanted to go to a private school. So we definitely had to get to work on him. He went to a private Catholic school um, and it was his dream school. And I was so happy that I was able to help him get into his dream school. And I was able to help him believe in himself. And I'm know that we're going to always be friends <laughs> he's <an> actually <laughs> going to always be friends forever like <laughs> nah. because we just really work together on everything and i really feel like i helped him believe in himself especially the fact that he received a scholarship and felt like he wasn't going to receive anything because of his gpa man that that is uh that is a great 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 story man i'm 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 glad. Hopefully, uh, I know I'm gonna give you a call my senior year. No, my brother's senior year when he goes because his woof, he, he two eight that make he, he make me, mm-hmm. my brother make my man like a genius like so, <laughs> <laughs> like goodness gracious. But that's neither uh that's neither here nor there. What do you what do you see yourself doing in like the future though? Like I mean, do you see yourself this this ev- how how far do you see this uh, this stuff this this journey evolving? Well, hopefully, what I would hope to do, I want to get in um, the school system. That would be perfect for me to get into the school system so that I can offer my services for free, especially to students who are at Title I high schools like what I graduated from. Um, of course, I, I charge for my services, and a lot of times I have to do things just out of the kindness of my heart for people who really can't afford it. But I want to be able to reach people on a bigger scale. Mm-hmm. I want to be able to get into the school system and have the school system pay me <laughs> as an independent contractor and to be able to go out and help these students at different high schools, you know, every other day, every day, and, you know, just move around. Because I really, like I said, I really want to be able to reach more people and get my message out because there's really just so many people who don't even know where to start. And if I could just help people figure out where to start, then I can create that snowball effect and have them you know, be able to fund their entire education. Because I always stress to people that what people don't realize about student loans is that although a lot of people get student loans, people who are, you know, in upper upper um, income levels, it's an attack on the lower on the lower level of students, on the lower income level of students. Mm-hmm. 
even though lower income level students usually qualify for more grants, like the the Pell Grant and things like that, they usually take out the largest loans because they take out what's ever offered to them because they don't understand the the effects of getting a loan and having it on your credit, the fact that the compounding interest that is starting, and they don't understand that kind of stuff. So all they see are dollar signs. So if I could just kind of change that and get people to kind of look at that differently, look at student loans and try to avoid it at all costs, then I will have made the difference that I want to make. Because I have a lot of friends who graduated from school, have $60,000 in student loan debt, and had to get a $10 hour job in Atlanta. And that's that's poverty in Atlanta because you're not going to find too many places that you can live for $10 an hour, even if you work 40 hours a week. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, a lot of them have just been confined to working those $10 an hour job because they can't find a job in their field. They just weren't connected. They didn't get you know placed on a position. They didn't do internships. So if I could just get that out so where my students can at least start out, you know, fresh and not have that student loan on their back, that they can focus more on what they want to do, what they really like to do, and not have to, you know, just get a job because they need to start making payments on these student loans. Man, I need to. I, whenever you are are available to to become mayor of your city, man, I'm just. <laughs> I'll make sure that I, I I use my promotional resources to uh, and whatever I can to really help in the avenue. Because I mean, that's a that's a phenomenal answer. And if you just had to make one small change to the school system, though, what would you what, what would you change? Um, I would change the attitudes of <laughs> of a lot of the people who work in the school system. Um, I know. I'm not, I'm not saying this about every school system, but I, I know especially on my side of town in South Fulton, um, a lot of the teachers, the counselors, the principals, all they see is dollar signs and they don't see these students as living, walking beings. And most importantly, they don't see these students as your future. That's what we don't understand is that our kids are one day going to become our doctors, our lawyers, our politicians. They're going to one day become these people that we're going to have to answer to. And if we don't invest in them right now and change our attitudes towards them, then we're not going to have a future. Because the attitudes of a lot of places, especially on low-income um, school systems, the attitudes are terrible toward the students. It's, you know, I got mine. Now it's time for you to get yours. You know, you're not going to be anything. You're going to be just like your mama. You can stay out of these streets. It's just different stuff like that. The, the talk to them is so negative. And it was even like that when I was coming through school. Um, it's just like this cloud that they place over your head where you just feel terrible. And if I could just do something to change the attitudes and get these people to speak life into these students instead of speaking, you know, condemnation on them, then that would be, that would be the greatest thing that I could possibly do. Even if I could find somebody who teaches sensitivity training and, you know, I could get them to come to the schools and teach them how to, you know, talk about how to be sensitive toward these students and their, their, um, their situation, their family situation, their living situation. Because you have to think a lot of times, especially in low income places, a lot of these kids don't get that love at home. And then you come to school and you don't get that love at school. So it's like, of course, they're going to rob and they're going to steal because they feel like nobody loves them. So if we could just change that in the school system, I could change the attitude and, and get them to come from a place of love instead of just coming for a paycheck and things like that. And that would be one of the greatest things that I could possibly do. In my life, that would be even better than me scholarship coaching if I could change. <laughs> if I could change the attitude, yeah. If I could change the attitudes of them, man. So the the, the future round. What's what's next for you in twenty sixteen? Twenty sixteen. Yeah, school. <laughs> um, growing my business. I'm actually getting ready to launch a course that's going to be self directed. Um, just so I can kind of give myself a chance to focus on school and get it finished because I'll be finished in May. 
Um, so yeah, I just I'm creating that course. I want to push that course so people can get on that. Of course, attracting new clients and stuff so I can work with and kind of help them. And also speaking engagements. Um, I have a few speaking engagements I already have planned for the end of this year and for um, next year already. But I really love speaking engagement because, like I was telling you earlier, I love to be able to reach more people at once. Mm-hmm. I love one-on-one coaching, but the fact that I can reach 100 people at one time and actually spark that interest and kind of give them a way to start is what I really like to do. I love being able to reach that many people. So that's what's waiting for me um, for the rest of 2016 and 2017. Hopefully, I'll be moving to Texas. We'll see how that works. You but, move, why you want to move to Texas? Um, I don't like Atlanta. Um, at all, I, I don't want to be here. I don't. <laughs> what happened though? You were just saying all this stuff about Atlanta. Oh, I love East Point. I love my city, uh-huh. but I don't want to. I feel like I'm. I, I don't want to get personal. Maybe if you turn this off, but the the dating scene in in Atlanta for a black female is terrible. <laughs> so I, I just feel like I'm not going to be successful. Is that bad? Yes, I'm gonna end up being an old lady with cats if I don't <laughs> get out of here. Like really, so you know, I would come back, and once I'm married and have kids or something like that, I would come back and be the mayor of East Point. But as far as next year, I'm gonna be 24, so you no, know, I, I need to enjoy this youth while I can and try to get myself out there. Because if not, I'm gonna be an old lady with cats if I stay in there. <laughs> Why Houston though? Um, no, I actually want to move to Dallas. Um, Dallas, Dallas is loved. They got a great entrepreneurship scene, great system. It just, it, I, I've heard nothing but great things about Dallas. Exactly. I went out there. I've been out there twice. Um, every time I go out there, it's just so, the scene is just so great. It's just, I feel like that family vibe that Atlanta is losing. Like Atlanta is becoming a place for, you know, people come out of high school, they come, I mean, out of college, they come here, they get a job, you know, they hustle and stuff. And while I love the hustle, I also like, you know, that little countryside sitting on the porch, you know, watching the cars ride by, hearing the wind blow. Like I, I like that side of things as well. I'm just looking for a good balance. Atlanta is too fast, where I did my undergrad is a little too slow, and Dallas makes me feel like it's in between. Everything that I need to get is out there. The people are still very hospitable, like they're always saying, you know, hey, how you doing? You having a good day? They speak to you. And just to feel the vibe out there is just, it's just great. Every time I go out there, I fall more and more in love with the city. So. Oh man, that's love. That's love. And I guess when it's, when it's all said and done, though, how, how do you individually want to be remembered? Um, I want to be remembered as somebody with passion, that somebody who really cared, that it wasn't just about the dollar. It wasn't about the dollar sign, just about making money. Um, She wasn't money hungry. I want to be remembered as somebody who really cared, who actually cared about her community, who cared about her people, and, you know, eventually just cared about herself. So, yeah, if I could be remembered as somebody who actually cares, especially about my community, then that's, that's all that matters to me. Amen on that. So as we transition into the rapid fire uh, round, I'm going to ask you five questions and give me rapid fire answers. You ready? Okay, let's go. <laughs> uh, what is the best piece of advice that you've ever received? Um, the best piece of advice that I've ever received is to just live, to just live. Like I said, in undergrad, I grew up too fast and I just needed the time to just sit back and live, enjoy being young, enjoy being just responsible for me and just, just live, just enjoy the, the moment. Mommy asking, how'd you grow up too fast? Because when I went to undergrad, like I said, it was kind of like a working adult um, situation. Um. I was, yeah, I was working 40 hours a week. I wasn't really enjoying anything. I was just going to work, going to school. 
Um, like I said, by sophomore year, I was 19 years old, ready to buy a house. So it was just, everything was just going way too fast, you know, picking up bills, all of that. It was, it was just growing up way too fast. And I just never got to really sit back and be fun. And undergrad, I didn't drink. Well, I don't, I still don't drink. I don't mm-hmm. drink, smoke, or do any of that. So it's just, you know, some of the mistakes that some of my peers made, I never really got to make them. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. <laughs> But no, the bad part about it is I really kept myself from being able to make friends and network because like I said, when in school, I was too busy working and going to school. I didn't really worry about making no friends and doing all of that stuff. And before you know it, I'd be 80 years old looking back like, man, I really wish I would have just took the time to, to smell the roses, just relax, you know, make a few mistakes, go to a few parties, you know, do something that you never thought you would do before and just, just have fun. No, nah, nah, I, I feel you on that. I feel you on that. That's 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 real. That's real. That's real. And I didn't ask you this question, so I guess I ask you now. This is outside of the rapid fire round. I had to break it up a little bit because if you had to tell yourself something um, five years ago, knowing what you know now, what would you say? What would you tell yourself? Um, I would tell myself. It, it all goes back to the same thing. I would tell myself is just relax. Like <laughs> you have forever and a day to work a job. Like even in undergrad, I got to the point where I was working two jobs at one time, just trying to get money. But I would have told myself, just relax, just go. I've never been anywhere on spring break. Um, I just, I would tell myself to go somewhere on spring break. When your friends go, go, don't have your schedule so tied up. Just have fun. Just go to the beach. Just go hang out. Go to a kickback or two. Like, just have fun. Like, so I was too wrapped up in making money, going to work, being in school, having a 4.0 and stuff like that. I just never let myself have fun and, and make friends. And a lot of people thought I was not stuck up because they knew I was involved. So they knew my personality. But a lot of people thought I was really serious. Like, I didn't really know how to laugh and have a good time. And I didn't start realizing that until I graduated from um, graduated from college and came back and got involved with this young black professionals group. I've actually been able to blossom and evolve into this this light bulb. <laughs> mm-hmm. I've been able to kind of you know show who I am inside. Like I feel like I had such a hard exterior back then because my mind was so focused on what I had to focus on that I didn't even notice the people around me. Like people would come up to me like, oh, you know, I went to Columbus State. I remember you. I'm like, mm, where you remember me from? Because I had never seen you before because I was just so focused. So if I reached back five years ago, I would tell myself, relax, have fun and enjoy undergrad. Because you, once these days are over, it's over for good. You will never be able to be 18 again. Mm, I love that. I love that. I love that and I guess the next to get back into Joan, what is your favorite book and why? Hmm, my favorite book, um, and it's so crazy because it's it's apart from entrepreneurship. But I read this book when I was in high school called The Poison Wood Bible, and mm. yeah, and I grew up as a devout Christian. I never had an interest in learning about any other type of religion because I was just like Jesus is Jesus. He's God. He's always gonna be God. I don't want to hear about nothing else. But when I read the Poisonwood Bible, it opened my mind to explore different religions. And although I feel like my parents were really nervous about it because they felt like I was going to lose my way, I feel like it brought me closer to God than I had ever been before because I was able to see seek through my own understanding instead of just listening to what everybody else was telling me. I was able to read the Poisonwood Bible and get more understanding about myself and more importantly about my spirituality. And that was one thing that I was missing. Like I was, I was this 
Christian in physical form, but physically, I mean, but spiritually, I feel like I was battling. And once I read this book, I feel like now I can be physically outward appearance. I could be a Christian, but I can also show people. I mean, I can also be good spiritually. Like now I feel like I'm better spiritually than I've ever been in my life because I read that book and it opened my mind to different things. What inspires you the most and keeps you motivated? Um, what inspires me the most is probably this vision that I have for my life. Um, I hope to, and this is, <laughs> get ready for it because a lot of people, I was like, what? <laughs> but I hope that once I get married, I want to have like a football kid, a football team of kids. <laughs> and I want to create this family business. So I want to take this business and of course grow it now. But I also want to create it into something that I can pass on to my children. I want this to become something that's generational something that I can pass on to my kids, they pass on to their kids, because I don't want my kids to have to, if they want to be entrepreneurs, I don't want them to have to go to a workforce because, you know, their parents can't support them because they don't have anything to fall into place. Um, I want them to be able to, you know, if you, if you're discriminated against on your job, you don't have to, you don't have to deal with it. You can quit and you can come work for your mama. <laughs> so I want to create, I want my program to become something that I can pass on and keep growing it so that I can create like a family business. That's always been something that's been a passion. A football team? <laughs> yeah. Look, when I tell people, I, I at least, at least, now I'm getting a little old now, so I, I don't know how it's going to work out, but I at least want five kids, at least. Where did this so, ambition come from? You said, where did this come from? Yeah, where did this ambition come from? Like, why five? <laughs> Um, because I'm the only child, my family's small, I'm the only child, my mom is the only child, my granddad is the only child. So I've always missed having that sibling interaction, like having that family. And like, I've been able to see like through some of my friends, like I had this one friend, his family is awesome. Like they're the epitome of a strong black, black family. Like if somebody is weak here, then somebody else comes from over here and they pull them up. And that's what I want for my family. And that's one reason why I want a lot of kids because I'm like, I want to be able to teach this and I want them to all have their own expertise. Like, you know, I might, I have five kids. One might be an artist. Another one might be great at marketing. Another may be great at, you know, coming up with, they may be a good speaker, you know, whatever the case may be. I would love for them to all come together and bring all of their strengths and bring it to, you know, a family business. But with that, of course, it's going to be on me to teach them the strength of a family to teach them that, okay, when your brother is down, you pull him up. You never let your brother fall by the wayside. So that's just, you know, all of that. Like I said, coming from an only child, not having that experience, I want to be sure that I can um, give that to my children. And also just because I've always had the dream of being like the matriarch in the family, like being big mama, like when I get old, being big mama, all my family come to my house, Thanksgiving, Christmas. It's just <laughs> always something that's really important to me that one day hopefully I can become. So, yeah. That's good. And if you were the president of the United States, what would, the, what would be the first thing you would do? Um, if I was the president of the United States, wow. The first thing I would probably do is, I don't know, I would probably take out most of the teachers <laughs> that are in some of the school systems and replace them with people who really have a passion for it, not people who are just doing it because of a paycheck, because one thing that I've learned that is so crazy to me, um, when I meet people who are education majors and they're always talking about teachers don't make a lot of money, I'm always like, where are y'all teaching? Because I know for a fact the teachers that teach at my high school, I can tell you for a fact that they make six figures at least. No, so, no, yeah, no yeah, way. I promise you, go on opengeorgia.gov because, you know, of course, when you work for the state, 
that you have that your salary and reimbursements and stuff is public information if you go on your opengeorgia.gov even in north carolina it's probably like opennorthcarolina.gov you can look up people um, who work for the state colleges um high schools elementary schools you can look up their salaries and i did that one day and most of my teachers are at least making six figures so <laughs> i feel like they're doing it for the money and i will bring in people who actually do it because they have a love and a passion for the students i would want to be i would want to be people like me who really care about their community and care about their care about the students who are there and not just there for a paycheck because it's a job mm. i love i love that i love that i love that and our last question of the whole interview and this is one of the most important questions i think you touched on it a little earlier but as always, I have to ask it. Um, if you could change one thing about society, most specifically our African-American culture, what would it be and why? What I would change is, like I kind of talked about it before, I would change the family structure. I feel like our main issue, I see people argue about different things all the time. Oh, black men not doing this, black women not doing that. But what we don't realize is that we're stronger together than we can ever be apart. So one of the main things we have to do, what I would love to change about our society, which I don't know how to do it, but you best believe I'm thinking about it, is to change and and restore our family settings. Like having the mother and the father in the family, having the family be the backbone. So we don't have to have we don't have to make so many bad decisions. You don't have to rob and steal if you know that you have this uncle, you know that has this business that he can place you on and he can help you show you through the ropes and stuff. You don't have to do this robbing and killing and stealing and taking from your brother. If we had a stronger family support where the mother can be the nurturer and, and the father can be the person who puts in the place the discipline and just having those two together, like the fact that our family structure is so messed up is the reason why we have so many problems. And until we can repair the family structure in the black community, we will never be able to repair anything else from the miseducation of us from um, just different issues that we deal with as a community. We can't repair it until we repair our family because the family structure is the first thing. You got to think when you're born, the first thing that you have is a family. So once we can repair that, then that's when we can create a community that stands together and we can repair all of the problems that we've been, that have been placed on us and have been put on us throughout the years through slavery, through discrimination or whatever. We can repair all of that once we can repair our families. Man. That is a, a masterpiece. This whole interview has really been a masterpiece. Um, and I, I, I just thank you for your candidness, your openness, your, uh, and yeah, your, your gift to gab. Uh, it really has been a, a, a great interview. You dropped a lot of, a lot of nuggets early on and we just been <laughs> flowing, 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 flowing ever since. You definitely need a, like, you need a, 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 some type of audio platform as well. Like, I mean, I definitely <laughs> think that's in the works, uh, sooner rather than later. And I'm definitely, uh, encouraged we were able to get this done uh so before before we end up where can people find you at online on social media and all that good stuff okay well first i love to tell people to follow my facebook page because that is where i interact the most with people so it's going to be um, www.facebook.com slash the scholarship coaches then if you would like to learn a little more information about me and just my story and um, some of the things that I offer and how to get in contact with me, you can go on my website, which is www.thescholarshipcoaches.com. And, you know, I always tell people I'm open to following people, um, befriending people on Facebook. You can add me. My name is Ariel Scholarship Coach Andrews on Facebook. I give a lot of tips there as well to just some of my personal friends. 
And also, you can message me. You can email me. Um, I always tell people, email me at thescholarshipcoaches at gmail.com. That's the one that I like to communicate with my clients because I usually um, check that one more often. But if you have any questions about anything else, like business-wise, they can contact me at info at thescholarshipcoaches.com. And that's it. Mm, I love that. I love that. I love that. So Minority Trailblazer Nation, for all you parents, for all you scholars that are looking to get advanced degrees, for all your parents, you got students that are, you're nervous, you don't got the money to pay for, and you know your peers, your, your peer, your, 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 uh, your child don't got the money to pay for, you now have a resource, finally, about time, we got a resource now you can go to that's young, fresh, and hip, and most importantly, she has done it before, and she can help you achieve your scholarship goals, so on behalf of the Minority Trailblazer Nation, on behalf of myself, thank you so much for giving an hour plus of your time. No problem. I love to do things like this and speak with people. You like it. I love it. So my nobody trailblazing nation, y'all know what time it is. Before we wrap it up and end it out, I just want to say thank you for tuning in to another episode. We got five more to go. We're going to end the season off with a bang. And in season three, I got that heat rock for you. You got my Nobody Trailblazer Conference coming up. We got more books coming up. We got webinars coming up. We got products coming up. We got all this coming up and I'm pumped. But before we get there, we need to do one thing. What is that one thing, Mr. Hill? Leave a review. Five star, please. I need a five star one. So I'm pumped. I'm excited. I don't want to go, but I know I got to go because if you listen in here, you a true, true fan. And that means you got work to do. That means you need to be changing the culture. That means you got to turn it up and change the world. So without further ado, I like to say one thing and one thing only. And you're looking at the song. You're like, yo, what is that one thing, Mr. Hill? That one thing is to change the freaking culture. Good night.